You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome to our first roundtable uh, episode of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. And uh, yeah, we've been talking about this for a while and we are finally doing it. New year, new us. Yeah. yeah. And, a, and you can see us. You can see us. If Hello, you're, If everybody. you're watching on YouTube, you can see us. So that means, Fran, no uh, pens up your noses. Uh, I have to watch no, my no, facial no. expressions. Yeah, you, you got to pay attention. No. <laughs> I, I can't make faces. <laughs> So we, we 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 have to make sure we're paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. can't those off. I I move everything off my desk so I can't fidget with anything like yeah. I usually do. So. Yeah, I you know it's funny because with this episode, what took so long was we we need to make sure it was a slow time of the year for us to really mm-hmm. organize this. But we really had trouble deciding which one to do first. There were so many discussions that we wanted to have, and we couldn't really couldn't really decide on which one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was tricky because, like we've talked about, doing one on foraging, doing one on mitigation banking, just the business of restoration, um, different kinds of gardens, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but we decided to choose one selfishly instead. Yeah, we, we wanted to <laughs> to do one that we could talk intelligently about. And even that, for me, is, is 50-50. So um, I, think, I think the bigger discussion was even – more so than which one were we going to do is what were we going to call it you know when it's just you and i it's the buzz mm-hmm. and you know there's really no name for when we have a guest on it's just the normal podcast yeah, that was just but, how we started yeah. so that's the overarching brand yeah but but this one you know we we finally agreed on a name yeah yeah we i can't remember some of the bad ones that oh there were some i because i threw I, out a ton i was thinking even <laughs> one was like buds on buds i'm like yeah. oh, that might not be good yeah I, yeah I was just throwing a ton of stuff out there yeah. to see what stick yeah but then we ended up deciding on rooted discussions yeah i really like that one yeah i really yeah, it, like that one. it definitely um uh gets through the seriousness of some of the stuff that we're talking about even though we're still talking with a lot of our friends and and people we know and it's still gonna be fun but we're gonna have topic or tackle some serious topics so you know i think the the this opens us up too so uh our theme music today is we're we're deciding to use some music from Mm -hmm. rj comer that we also is is new music for us for the buzz our most recent winner but we want to make sure that we open the theme music competition back up to uh to someone new we want to give uh, roundtable discussions their own identity so uh we're hoping that if you want to submit original theme music that we can use for just the roundtable or the um the rooted rooted discussions discussions, uh make sure you email it to us at info at native plants healthy planet.com and we've really been lucky to have two submissions so far and both of them be really really good so oh yeah i'm expecting i have high hopes for our our next uh (laughs) Or theme music for this as well. I do too. I'm so like out of sorts. Like typically, I'm looking at our notes <laughs> yeah. on the laptop, but now it's it's the filming, so I can't. At you. The laptop's <laughs> looking at me, so I'm I have everything written down, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I got to change. I have to, it's time for me to switch papers. But but can since our, we have, can, can our guests hear us during this? I don't. And they're think in the waiting so. room. No. Oh, yeah, we could say whatever we want. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, they're gonna let us know as we bring them in one by one. 
we have a really good lineup for you today, uh, not just of native plant nurseries, but also good friends of ours. So with that, we're going to start Open it up. For a, a Bring quick, them in. Uh, quick introduction. Let's see. Let's see how we do with this. There we go. All right. Hello. Steve, you're there, right? I am here. Okay. Could, could you hear us while you were in the waiting room? No. Okay. We were okay. just curious. Yeah. Don't, yeah, you we, don't want, we didn't say anything bad. Out, making sure I wasn't picking my nose. <laughs> <laughs> no. but, it's like, when is it going to come on? Who's going to be first? <laughs> yeah. But, but Steve, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about who you are and where you're from and, uh, and about your nursery? Um, my name is Steve Cascarani, and I'm the president, CEO of North Creek Nurseries. We are a wholesale plant propagation nursery that focuses on perennials, grasses, and ferns, primarily some vines, uh, with an emphasis on Eastern regional native plants. Like uh, as a, a mouthful, but uh, so we grow uh, native plants uh, and also some non-native plants. Uh, probably 85% of our palate is uh, native. Um, we also grow native plant cultivars that uh, we differentiate you know, what they are by propagation type. Okay. So um, we uh, sell to wholesale growers, we sell to uh, restoration projects, and we can differentiate our product line depending on uh, the use of the plant. So if it's going into a, a suburban landscape or an urban landscape and um, it's entry level in, in that way, as far as uh, it's not a restoration project, mm -hmm. then you know, where, where cultivars would be more appropriate, but we awesome. we still look for plants with uh, with ecological value. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're great for pollinators, or they're stormwater reclamation items for rain gardens and vegetative swales and what you know constructed wetlands and such. I think it's important to point out too for our listeners, and, and correct me if I get it wrong, but you're co-founder of the American Beauties line, correct? Also, we are co-founders okay. of the American Beauties line. Um, that is now uh, been quite a while. I think we started in uh, 2004. Wow. Um, and we have uh, five growers currently. Okay. One of the growers is going to be one of your guests today. I didn't realize it was They're only five here. growers. Yeah. I I think I was assuming it was more than that. That's it, it's been a few more. We launched okay. it, and then the recession hit, and then we, we mm -hmm. lost a couple of growers, okay. um, and things changed. People, a couple, couple people uh, went out of business or uh, gotcha. changed their business model. Mm -hmm. um, and interestingly enough, starting uh, – I mean, I, North Creek is 34 years old, so wow. we started as a propagation nursery, and we, we, we grow liners. We were wholesale. Okay. Um, so uh, plugs, and then – in around 2000 or so, we pioneered uh, the landscape plugs and yeah. brought those into the market where, you know, larger, uh, smaller plants in larger quantity could be yeah. planted uh, in the landscapes. Uh, so we differentiate our markets in the fact that probably 70% um, of our plants roughly go to um, people that pot them up and okay. resell them in one way or another, whether landscapes or to retail. Mm -hmm. The other 15 or so, 20, 20% now, maybe actually closer to 30, yeah. uh, will go into landscape and it will be direct into the landscape. All right, wonderful. Restoration projects, meadows, and, yeah, and such cool. like that. I, I, now, you I, alluded to two of our other guests, so be, I'm going Before you go on, I just want to say, because okay. I'd be remiss not to yeah. mention this, you know, I feel very fortunate today we have 
what we consider our colleagues on. Mm-hmm. But Steve, to me, is someone that I really look up to in the industry. Oh, yeah. So I'm yeah, really like honored that that you're you're here yeah. with us today. Yeah. So I mean, you're one of, you know, you're not not that I'm putting anyone above anyone else, but you're just someone that we look up to in this yeah. industry. There's so a reason we brought you on first. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I've been around a long time. I guess it, age has something to do with it, maybe. <laughs> no, no, but, not at all. Uh, now, what I, I wanted to make that one last point is that um, we started out in the native plant market back in uh, 88, and uh, especially trying to get native plants mainstreamed into you know conventional horticulture has kind of been uh, one of our missions. I mean, it's mm-hmm. easy to sell native plants to native plant enthusiasts mm-hmm. or native plant fundamentalists. I mean, people that really want native plants in the landscape uh, bridging that gap and getting native plants into the hands of the uninitiated. Um, yeah. it's been yeah. difficult. And then, you know, when you, when you look at uh, what was happening in the late eighties, early nineties, um, I'm happy to be here to have survived 34 <laughs> years. And in the last 10 years or so, um, native plants, uh, have found their niche and their, you know, we always knew they had that purpose, but the, the mm-hmm. broader audience is understanding, accepting, and asking. So we're really fortunate, and, that, and that's given legs to the American Beauties program because mm-hmm. um, we're touching the, the uh, entry-level gardeners at retail or uh, making plants. One of the biggest questions that came to us early on, and I, I do own a retail store too, so I had that kind of experience mm-hmm. from uh, owning Gateway uh, Garden Center, is that people would come in and ask for native plants, and we would sell them, but they weren't branded that people didn't know one mm-hmm. from the other yep. and uh you know more and more as time went on uh there's been more interest and in, and in just making them more available so we get that question where can i buy native plants we we get yep. it all the time yep. it's you know it's even for us you know the difference was really the last 10 years like you were saying that 10 to, to 12 years is really where we saw the difference in the market starting to change but it's really the educational part. We we preach all the time. We have to make the circle larger. It's it's great that Absolutely. we have good customers and people that love and preach this, but it doesn't work if if it doesn't become larger. You know, and that's. I, I think that's what you know. One of the reasons Daryl and Carrie kind of came into it. Uh, yeah. With their with their business, and they they were actively very interested as, as they started their business. To, you know, they were growing natives, but they, you know, they felt that. Um, it was a good fit for them. Mm-hmm. When you bring them on, I'm sure they'll yeah. they'll kind of back up on. As, so let's as, bring them on now. Yeah, as a new business, they could have grown anything, you know, and anything, they, they anything. and they chose. And they're very good growers. Yes. So, and here sure. they are. So, Carrie There's, and Daryl, I don't know if we see on the same screen. All right, here you go. Daryl's coming up now. All right, <laughs> there, there we, we go. go. <laughs> hey guys, how you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> Uh, doing good. So if, if if you could just introduce yourself and explain who you are, what you do, what your business is, a little bit about your business, if you want to take turns, I don't. Uh, I'll, I'll start. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm Daryl Kabeski, uh, co-owner of Sunset Farmstead. Uh, we, we started this a few years ago, really just focusing on growing plants for pollinators uh, okay. and and really turned into a have, you know, focusing on native plants uh and for pollinators with a you know what what they provide for our ecosystem is really uh really our main focus mm-hmm. uh in, in what we do now the the two of you actually come from different backgrounds daryl what were you doing before the the two of you started the nursery before uh, i was working at another wholesale nursery as a as our production manager okay and carrie 
Actually, I was also working. Yeah, in I, oh, I forgot I you were working there also. They were but, came from the same but background. I forgot. Went to the same school. <laughs> worked at the same. No, I, I already <laughs> committed to not editing editing anything out, so I have to leave that that in. But we've I, known each other longer than longer than our spouses. But you're both uh, landscape architects, also correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's what I was alluding to. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, so we were just saying before we brought you on that as a new nursery, you could have grown anything you wanted. Um, you could have gone in any direction, um, but you chose the direction that you chose. Can you talk a little bit about what you're growing and why you went in that direction? Let me go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are growing specifically plants for pollinators, whether that's a food source or habitat. Um, we decided that of all the things that we could grow, we really wanted to focus in on that since it is a conversation a lot of people are having at multiple levels. The importance of pollinators uh, is something we felt strongly about. So it seemed to make sense. And we didn't really know of another nursery that was only growing pollinator plants. So we thought, well, that can be the thing that we do. <laughs> and what what sizes are you growing? Um, and who's your your main customer base for that? And, are, and if you're wholesale or retail? Uh, our customer base is mostly independent garden centers and landscape contractors, okay. uh, and everything's in a one gallon. Uh, the other thing that was important to us with doing this was, was to do it as, as sustainably as possible. Uh, to, now I have two young kids. Carrie has a, a middle, school, middle school daughter. Uh, so it was it was being able to have them out and play in the puddles and not have to worry about what might be in that puddle. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can honestly say we have not sprayed anything on the farm since we started this. Wow! Wow! Awesome. That's fantastic. I don't I don't think there's too many people no. that can that no, can make that claim. Definitely. <laughs> that's that's you should be sure. proud of that. All right. And now our last guest today. Yes. This will give us the full six screens. There you go. The Brady Bunch. We're all in. <laughs> John, how are you doing? Hey, guys. Not glad to be here. How you all doing? Uh, doing well. Thank you for uh, taking some time out today to be with us. Um, if you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your business, uh, what what you're growing, what sizes you're growing, who your customer base is, that type yeah. of yeah, absolutely. My name is John Mark Courtney. I am the owner and grower here at uh, Kind Earth Growers in Ottsville, Pennsylvania. We are a, uh, we're a smaller nursery and we specialize in open pollinated uh, seed grown um, aquatic and wetland perennials, um, along with um, a couple other upland species, mostly to uh, give us a nice list of plants that help to create uh, diverse habitats. Awesome. Um, we're a plug producer, um, 72s for all of our obligate species, specifically the aquatics. And then we also get into some deep 50s or landscape plugs for uh, some of our drier site species. Fantastic. And where's the, the bulk of your uh, material going? I would say it, it's probably a lot of it's local contractors um, okay. for stormwater management and for uh, retention and detention basins. But um, we also supply other nurseries that are um, restoration driven to upsize into quarts or gallons, mm -hmm. what have you, for different um, uh, different jobs. Awesome. So, yeah. And I think yep. it's fair to say you're you're a relatively new business owner, yep. even we though you, you have 2017. Yeah. So congratulations. Congratulations. So. Uh, Tom, you want to kick it off now that everyone's here and I'll, introduced I'll them? I'll say to all our listeners, one of the reasons that we chose this group is, um, and Fran and I mentioned, about, mentioned it before, that the native plant industry, 
I'd even say the nursery industry, to an extent, is pretty unique that a lot of the competitors um, kind of find their, their little niche, but they're all, they tend to be friendly with each other. Yeah. For the most part. Not everyone, but for the most part. And this group is all very friendly with each other, as we've seen that we all kind of even work together <laughs> in a way. And um, there's stuff that I know uh, North Creek is buying from John and Daryl's buying some stuff from us. And it's a little bit of uh, going back and forth. Daryl and Carrie are growing American Beauties, yeah. which is a program uh, that Steve helped uh, exactly. co-found. So it's, it's you know, we could have easily had 10 other, 20 other people on yeah. here with us, but this is our first go-round. And so. I'll apologize to all the listeners from outside the Mid-Atlantic, but <laughs> we're probably all within, what, an hour and a half of each other as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so our listeners in Washington and Oregon, uh, we'll have to cover you guys later. Yeah, <laughs> it will, maybe we can do different uh, different areas of the country with the next one. So, do you want to kick off with the first question? Tom? I'm going to let you kick off. You right. asked a lot of these questions already. <laughs> I did. I've yeah. actually, I haven't, you know, because I don't have my questions in front of me and I'm looking to the left, I realized that, oh, I I, I just yeah. asked a bunch of these questions already. So, um, we, we, we did discuss that we each have our own niche. Like, we, mm-hmm. we do, uh, even though we do two-inch plugs and we do woodies and we do liners and seed, um, we do somewhat specialize in wetland plants, and and the subcategory of that is salt marsh. Salt marsh is the the largest portion of our business. We probably do more salt marsh than anything else. So that's mm-hmm. our niche, um, and a lot of that's because of where we're located. But we each kind of have our own niche, um, and I'm curious how everyone chose the direction that you went. Like, uh, why did you choose the size that you went, or or this? specific you know like john why are you doing aquatics that that type of thing like just curious where we all fell into where we we fell mm-hmm. we could start anywhere whoever wants to go first <laughs> i'd say for us um you know aqua- aquatic plants uh pylons you guys are, are obviously the originators of, of doing this um but there's there's just such a need with um urban infrastructure projects mm-hmm. and stormwater management i think that's been really a focus of of new development you know in the last 20 years or so if not yeah. longer and the reason why we we do the aquatics is because number one there's not a lot of folks that are doing it but also there's just a there's a high demand out there and for ways for us to be able to impact the the broader environment um for me i believe it all starts with water quality and and water so that's really why we've maintained the focus of aquatic plants and um you know, and, and specifically in the sizes that we grow, that, that two-inch plug for, for all of our obligate species, um, there's hydrology present when you're planting yeah. aquatics. Mm-hmm. So you're actually creating less disturbance by trying to dig a, a bigger root ball into, um, let's say, a mucky, mucky sandy soil um, where you're planting this. So that's why we've stayed with our, with our two-inch plugs as well. And I, I think for us, it's, that's very similar because we're doing a lot of wetland stuff, you know, and you find with a lot of wetland plants, they tend to be on you know for the most part more shallow rooted mm-hmm. so it's um we didn't see a need and we don't really expand out much into upland we have some uplands but not enough mm-hmm. to create a whole different line it yeah. just doesn't really cross over so it was i think you know i uh don Knezik, you know truly credits a lot of what we do to environmental concern really being his his mentor mm-hmm. and, and and showing sure. him what what we do there wasn't someone in our area doing that you know so we wanted to have something a little more local and i think that's that's kind of where it, it sprouted but uh steve do you want to do you want to go next yeah 
Um, I talked about it a little bit in the introduction, but um, you know, we're a wholesale grower. We supply a lot of uh, growers. So a lot of the growers put demands on us or have over the years, and we've grown a lot of different plants, uh, native and non-native, but uh, to focus in on the native plants and the native plant market uh, that we wanted to kind of continue to thrive in. Um, for the first 20 years of my business, I had a partner and we, you know, we, we shared uh, lots of conversations about where we wanted to be. And, uh, you know, we know that there's markets in uh, salt marshes and super aquatic areas, um, but it's not, it wasn't North, North Creek's niche. And, you know, we are a little bit more upland. We, we do uh, marginal aquatic species. We do good ground covers. Uh, rain gardens as they kind of uh, start to become more popular uh, and there was demand for those plants. Uh, we went in that market. We do a lot of ferns. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we, we are a very large fern grower now and uh, ornamental grasses. Um, and, you know, back in the 80s, the only uh, ornamental grass available was typically miscanthus. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, and, you know, uh, following in the footsteps of some of the storied nurserymen that brought ornamental grasses into uh, prominence, they were uh, exotic species. And early on, we, North Creek, had to make some decisions about who we want to be. Yeah. And sure, we could make money growing exotic grasses. And we, you know, we still have a, a couple, but, you know, when we looked at things that are invasive um, and non-native invasives, and uh, miscan I keep, I'll pick on miscanthus because I like yeah. to pick on <laughs> it. Should be I, picked on. And, and once you see invasive species, and I know it's not an invasive species thing, but and I, I spent a lot of time uh, on like the invasive species council and helping uh, our state with that. You can't look away, and then mm -hmm. you start to realize how many exotic species are out there, and we don't want to be the people. Uh, I want to mediate them, not and, and put native plants back in their place. Yeah. So we found that, you know, growing more panicums, um, you know, eventually growing Carex and uh, uh, Schizaprium or Andropogons, the warm season grasses. I mean, you're just, there, there's, there were plenty of plants to grow and introduce into, into in, back into native landscapes. And that's where we really put our focus. Yeah. Um, and uh, had make, made some tough decisions, you know, financial decisions, when there wasn't a native plant market. So I'm going mm -hmm. back to when, you know, this is all new. I mean, um, you talked about uh, Don. Uh, you know, he was he used to put classes on. We used to yep. drive up yep. to Columbia, and you know, the Dale and I. You know, it's like these are engineers. You know, we're like we're going into the class with the engineers. And like, you know, we're <laughs> the native plant guy. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't fit into this group <laughs> but man we learned so much you know and uh, as we developed the landscape plugs and that market and it matured we started to take a lot of our focus you know and still working with the um the, the growers but we started to, to to really put our marketing focus into landscape architects engineers municipalities mm -hmm. nature centers and those people that actually are the specifiers of the plant material and make that let them understand that a lot of times specifiers are not plant people yeah mm -hmm. so they can specify plants i know john you guys all probably know this they're not available I, you know I, and then whether or not you can make them available or 
whether or not you can guide them into plants that you know do the same thing. Well, so I, I, we, we do a lot of education. One of our um, our values, core values, is to educate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it has to be with the with the native plant nursery. Yeah, just because you're a landscape architect doesn't mean that you're well versed on native plants, because yeah. uh, there's a lot of other specialties or an engineer. So it's it's still finding a means to educate yeah. those that that want to go in those direction and and it's you know for every nursery that feels the way that we do here collectively there's 10 to 20 that don't <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's and that's that's what we're fighting against to try to change sometimes with with a way of thinking so it's nice to see that out of the the four nurseries that are here that two of them are new so it's it's mm-hmm. newer nurseries on this focus because we need more of that as well you know yeah. and it's so Steve's comments actually, I wrote down like three more questions that <laughs> that I wanted to throw back. Yeah. But I I, will, I want Daryl and Carrie to go first, and because I, I, I want to ask some of these questions to everyone after, after you know, because the two of you could have started anywhere, and and you started with one gallon containers, and you started wholesale. So it's just curious why you chose that sizing. Uh, one gallons for sure was was it's a quick turn. So we could get it out to the end user pretty quickly. Um, and, and being both landscape architects, wanting to get that, uh, have that product available to the end user uh, was really important. There's, there's Pilots, there's North Creek, there's plenty of other guys out there that are other nurseries that are doing the plug that can go for restoration jobs, but not much that can go directly to uh, your typical, you know, commercial landscape job site or a home landscape job site. Um, and that's, that's kind of where we, where we fell with choosing that mm-hmm. size. Okay. All right. Awesome. So where I wanted to go from that was, and while Steve was talking, it made me think of this, you know, for as wholesalers, you know, there's, there's only so many nurseries that grow native plants. There's only so many customers that plant native plants. So we all basically share the same customer base and, mm-hmm. and customers may have one source that they favor over another. Do you ever get pressure from your customers to do more than what you do, to do different sizes, or they, they want you to take your products in another direction? Uh, we get asked, you know, yeah. hey, can you do upland plants? Can you do this size? And it's just not in our wheel well, and, and you find yourself having to make business decisions for something that you feel good about like do you do you feel that same kind of pressure i think we do and i think as a new young nursery people will come in with you know one of our goals was to have a curated list of plants we don't want to grow everything under the sun Mm -hmm. that is native or is pollinator friendly so we make tough decisions and um a lot of times people do come in and they're like, oh, well, you know, you should grow this one or why don't you grow this or how come you don't have these? And it's easy when it's a plant that's not a pollinator friendly plant, but when it is, it's just another variety. Um, those are the decisions we have to make and we have to tell somebody, yeah, sorry, we're just not going to do it. And um, and it, depending on who you're talking to, it can be taken different ways. It can mm-hmm. either be, hey, you guys really know your business and I appreciate that you're giving us a curated list of, of great pollinator plants, or it can come down to someone looking at us going, well, you don't have the selection that I want. So yeah, I'm going to shop good that elsewhere. You... And that happens sometimes too, but I think um, having, you know, our core values in place and knowing what we want um, our business to be, um, it is up to us to make those tough decisions. And if mm-hmm. we can live with it and sleep at night, 
then we've made the right decision at the end of the day. Because yeah, I'm sorry, Tom. Yeah, you, I was going to say it's it's good in a way that you're doing that because as a new business, it's really easy to someone says, "Hey, can you grow this? I need ten thousand of them," and you just see the the money signs in your eyes <laughs> pop up. But at the same time, I, the majority of us here went through the the Eagle program, which is a horticulturally based um, finance program, basically, and. Yeah, finance and leadership type program, and um, and that was one of the things they really stressed was find what you're good at and stick to what you're good at, and and really capitalize on that. Be the best at something, not just okay at everything. Yeah. And, and let's be honest, yeah. we we're all I'm sure everyone here is guilty of growing things that you like, but yeah. don't necessarily sell either. So it's yeah. you know sometimes you have to kill your darlings because you're you're doing things mm-hmm. because you're passionate. We all chose this niche for a reason, and and we're passionate about it. But you have to make good business decisions as well to keep afloat so you can keep doing those things. So yeah. um, anyone it's, else feel pressure? Yeah. I mean, it, it is tempting, especially in these first couple of years of, um, you know, of business where we do get those requests for, you know, oh, can you grow a thousand quarts of, of such and such a thing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at the bottom line on it and the amount of space it takes up. And for us, we, we're, we're limited by our, our production space. And um, as nice as that number looks, you, you know, my accountant told me when we first started, he's like, always do what you're good at and don't do anything else. <laughs> so yeah. stick with the plugs and you're, and, and yeah. we, we've, and that, those are the answers we get. If I have the space, maybe, but yeah, I don't entertain most, uh, anything outside of our catalog. You know, and it's funny cause doing, uh, I'm sorry, Steve, go ahead, please. I apologize. Uh, um, I just wanted to add to that cause, uh, what Tom, Tom said, um, and it goes along with, uh, just a lesson that everybody just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a lot of pressure from growers, uh, especially over the years. And we've been in business a long time. So there's a lot of fashion associated with new plants and new plants, you know, there's, there's an industry driving new plants. And we had to make a decision many years ago when we weren't necessarily making great decisions because we would, you know, we try to be all things to all people yeah. in some regards. And um, you really got to put the pencil to paper and then going through the Eagle program, one of the things that uh, Charlie Hall, the uh, initiator and our mentor there, um, you know, it was like really looking at what we were growing, how well we were growing it, why we were growing things, and then making tough decisions to say, because uh, a lot of times, especially with the native plants, we were finding that we uh, were always sold out of the stuff that we were known for, mm-hmm. and we're growing a lot of these obscure things that, you know, yeah, they weren't mm-hmm. really making money. Yeah. So a few years back, uh, made a tough decision and we, you know, and it's a tough decision when you have salespeople that are out there selling things and you had to say to them, um, you got to tell your customer that you can't supply those thousand or 2000 yeah. plants that they're looking for. We dropped 122 SKUs wow. out yeah. of our product. Wow. wow. Um, and when we were telling those customers, they said, yeah, we should probably do that too <laughs> because everybody's growing plants not all their plants, but uh, there's a lot of plants that are grown that are maybe not profitable or mm-hmm. they're, you don't really yeah. understand why you're growing. You grow them because you've always grown or whatever the reason. And um, one of the things I'll add is having a smaller retail company, I always get questions on, well, why don't you grow this? Why don't you grow this? Why don't you grow this? And it's a lot of, some of the stuff I have to scratch my head and say, oh, I really don't know why we're not growing that one. But a lot of the times it's something that's fairly obscure, not even that common in uh the the natural landscape um and i always remember i was at a conference and someone was talking about how there people weren't growing enough i think it was trillium 
uh, in the nursery trade. And then they went on saying, oh, they need to be growing more trillium. If they grew trillium, they'd sell out of them. And then they said that it took seven years to germinate from a seed. And, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, well, we could sell in that same space. If it was a two-inch plug in that same space, and if it was swamp milkweed, we could sell at least two flips, if not three flips. And now combine that by seven years, and we're charging – we're only charging less than a dollar per plug – but and and that's what are you willing that, to pay that, that and, and that's what I was combined for a trillion. I was gonna say like you know what makes it hard is sometimes the pressure comes from when when you're a wholesale you're dealing with the same customers all the time mm-hmm. and and being in the niche that we are and there were so few many so few people doing it you have very long standing relationships with these people so your relationship may go back twenty years with someone and they're asking you to do something to help them. But you know it's not necessarily a good business decision. We had someone trying to talk us into contract growing 10-gallon containers, mm-hmm. and I had that same conversation. I was like, you know, if we do plugs, one flat covers two square feet, and we can flip that two square feet three times in a year, and that 10-gallon is going to sit there mm-hmm. for two years, and you're not going to pay what I need to charge you for that plant. It just doesn't make sense. We're limited in space. We don't – you know. and those are the really hard decisions that a lot of people just – they. They may not realize that's what's going into it, um, you know, and that's that's very hard. Or how long something takes to make, like like Tom just said, that's that you know we one of our driving factors is we only sell what we can grow ourselves and we can grow from seed, or mm-hmm. it's like ninety five percent. So when people ask us to do something that we've never done before, there's the whole well we have to find the seed, <laughs> we yeah. have to learn how to propagate the seed, we have to learn how to grow it, you know. It's, there's a lot of you know. It's, for us, our biggest crop is smooth cordgrass. It took us ten years to master that crop alone, <laughs> you know. But you knew you could sell hundreds and thousands mm-hmm. of them. You know, you, you may not be able to make that same risk for something you're going to sell a hundred of. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if mm-hmm. if everyone feels the same way, but that's kind of where I where I where I see it for us. When we limited eliminated those uh, varieties, um, one we could grow more of what we. Are known for and what we were always sold out of mm-hmm. um and try to help satisfy the market that already existed but uh also gave us uh, opportunity because you have limited space everybody has limited space mm-hmm. you know so uh how do you continue to grow more plants in the same footprint and, and increase varieties and all that so by really honing down into understanding you know the the plant material that you're growing uh but it gave us opportunity to uh, do custom grow, uh, oh. items. So if we, you know, that they were worthwhile because we knew, yes, we could get the seed, uh, or we knew how to propagate whatever it was. And, um, one of the things that kills, uh, especially in, in you guys, uh, the plug growers will know this, um, and you know, Daryl and Carrie, you'll know it too. It's residency time. Mm-hmm. And we yeah. don't think about residency time as part of our grow, growing. So if you, you know, grow a plant and you're, growing it on speculation and you're growing a plant that maybe a hope sells, but doesn't, and then you're, you're maintaining it for X amount of time. Maybe by that time you have it for six, eight, 10 months a year, and then you sell it at a discount because you want to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So everything's a logic. And um, mm-hmm. so if you could grow more plants that are custom grown for a job, for spec, you know, for non-speculative growing, um, your turns are faster. Um, you're, product is fresh and uh, of higher quality. So those are all great decisions that, you know, you, you know, in a way we got, 
I would say forced into making, but you know, it was sometimes you do things because, like I said, you, you, but I always you always did. Mm -hmm. I, I think one thing that the the retail market may not understand behind the scenes, like as we pull the curtain back, is that what we're growing has a shelf life. Mm -hmm. You know, especially when you're dealing with small sizes, if it doesn't move within, you know, if you're growing two inch plugs, that plan is really only viable in that flat for so long, and then it has to go. So, and if and if you can't sell it at a reasonable price, you're you're throwing it out, or or hopefully, if you're doing other sizes, you can step it up. But it's, you know, you hear a lot of things on in the landscape trade that oh you know we're getting things that are root bound or we're getting things like that it's 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 hard to to manage that sometimes because you really have to manage your inventory to make sure that you're you're getting a good sell through every mm -hmm. year but you can't we none of us have crystal balls you can, you can try to base it on what your sales history was the last couple of years but you never know what's going to drop out of favor or not have a job for and i yeah. are, does everyone else experience that as well like coming up with that you just have something that has sold great 10 years and then all of a sudden it drops off and, and you're like, Oh, what am I going to do with, with all of these? There, there's something else that you, that takes its place. It's, you know, you've, you've sold out of, you know, Panicum Shenandoah, for instance, was really good for us. And, but is it going to be great next year? You make a plan like it's going to be awesome, but you know, Hey, we, we learned from Eagle hope is not a strategy, but you know, at the same time, we kind of do hope that it's <laughs> yeah. as good of a seller as it was this year. Yeah. So, so I might even restructure Fran's question a little bit. And I, I guess one of the things I've always heard, um, the first time I heard it, I didn't like the answer, but someone was asked what their favorite plant was. And he said, it's, it's the one that goes out on the back of the truck. Yeah, and which is, is true. <laughs> As I got more into the business, I realized that's very true. And um, yeah, but when you're looking into your year to year, uh, what you're gonna grow, how do you decide? Oh, I'm gonna grow ten thousand of this, and a million of this, and a hundred thousand of this. What are some of the factors you look at to make that plan? Mm. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know what history. Um, yeah what we've sold in the, in the past. So if, if you constantly see, you know, five years of, of increased sales, you can kind of forecast, uh, but in still shooting at a moving target, um, that's, that's kind of how I always did it and would continue to do it is look at history and move forward. I think a lot of times too, we talk to our customers. So, uh, you know, throughout the year, so hearing them say, you know, looking at what they consistently buy and maybe having a conversation, hey, you know, if we had more of those, would, would you have purchased more? Again, it's not an exact science. There's no guarantee. We're not gonna hold anybody to committing to buying that from us and only us, but mm -hmm. it does help to, to start looking at patterns within your customer base too. Oh, they always buy those. If I grew ten, you know, a hundred more, would they buy fifty to seventy-five percent of them, mm -hmm. yeah. or not? You know, so it's it's a it's always a conversation. Yeah, certainly sales trends. Obviously, um, any kind of history that we have to use to base our numbers on. Um, but then also, uh, like Steve was alluding to, contract grows. You know, a lot of the stuff we'll do like this time of year is all. Um, job driven, you know, so we're taking actually taking contracts on stuff that we can grow and then we'll allot, you know, about half of our space to the contract grow and then the other half we can allot to some speculation, you know, based upon, 
you know, calculations we make with our historical sales and then try to time that over the course of the season too. So we don't have to go into, you know, um, we don't have to go into April with, you know, 100,000 of this, but we can, you know, say, okay, we can have, you know, 1,000 now, maybe 5,000 in June and then target when those plants are actually moving. Um, it's been a struggle to do that, you know, to come up with all those yeah. matrices, yeah. but um, we're, we're tr starting to hone in on a little bit better. You know, um, following up on that um, and what you guys were saying that not all of the listeners here are wholesale growers or propagators. Um, there is a misunderstanding in, especially with seed grown items, you know, and tissue culture. I mean, all the different types of propagation, there are these timelines and windows of when plants can be produced, when they're available, if they have to go through cold moist stratification or you have to go actually find them and you know th there's all these time frames so so what john was talking about you have to uh, even daryl and, and carrie you have to base you know your assumptions on history and market trends but you also have to do at least for for our nursery, you have to do this uh, speculative growing because if you sold 10,000 or something the year before, a thousand or whatever, um, you just can't um, like cut more two by fours. You have <laughs> to go plan and uh, start the process long, long before mm -hmm. anybody sees a plant. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's complicated. It is really complicated. That's why there are not a lot of people that are like showing up uh, every day and saying, yeah, I want to be a perennial plant propagator. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, even, even a, a lot of our customers that you would think would understand that, you know, we have people that will say, even on the woody side, like if we supply you seed, can you give us, you know, a two gallon arrowwood viburnum next year? And we're like, oh, we, we might be able to give you that in about four years. <laughs> you know, it's because you don't, and sometimes you have time, you know, uh, with, with herbaceous plugs from seed, some things at certain times of the year can be grown very quickly. You may not have an order, but have the seed and know that you can get it uh, to a finished size in two months. You know, and that's one of the advantages of smaller size. But Steve, I was going to mention that your nursery probably the, the system you create you probably capture more information mm -hmm. than anyone else i know and it's still difficult like it's still, like even though you have the systems and and the information collected it's still not an exact science it's still an unknown it's not a science and you know we have really good people gordon who a lot of you guys know mm -hmm. um he's a number crunching guy and we have invested a lot of money into our accounting uh inventory software and, and uh, such and uh, it's been really helpful, but crank, cranking those numbers out, knowing who the growers are, when they, a good example uh, from the wholesale perspective is that um, if we misjudge the timing on a specific product and use a seed item and it comes, it comes late and it misses the window where a grower wants to pot it up, we can look back, well, we, we, we hopefully we'll look back on that and say, you know, we could have sold all those, but they didn't sell because we had bad timing on, on getting them into the marketplace and the grower really couldn't take those. Yeah. Um, when, when we had them available, they wanted them earlier. Mm -hmm. So then you might say, um, we're not going to grow those that many next year because we didn't sell that many. 
really you have there's there's a lot of moving parts to consider yeah. uh plant vernalization is one you know for for growers and when uh we have to grow plants in the summertime hold them put them through a cold period the chill period so that if somebody wants to grow them into retail like you're okay they want them in bloom certain plants have to have that cold cold period uh mm -hmm. go dormant um so those are factors that we have to factor in our on our production schedule uh, to see, you know, who that and make sure the timing all works. Out. Yeah, I, very, very, com very complicated when you're doing like you know, hundreds and hundreds of items. One thing that you know, if you're a nursery owner or you work in a nursery, it it involves loss. You know, and mm -hmm. loss is a is a huge uh, factor in in everything we do. And 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 there's a lot of things that are out of your control that no matter how hard you try to control you can't control the weather and you can't control a warm spell in in late january and you can't control a you know an early frost or a pandemic <laughs> or a pandemic yeah exactly so it's um you, you know there's a lot of challenges with you know all of a sudden you don't want to you're not ready production wise to start germinating this seed but it decided to germinate on its own in, in the cooler and and it changes everything like you have to be nimble and and you know there's definitely limitations so given that what would you say your biggest limitations are as as a a nursery owner or, or working for a nursery that limit what what you do is is there a, a specific factor that hey maybe we want to do more of this but we can't or or it makes it hard because of these factors i know that's a that's a difficult question but about just time, space, and labor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one. Yes. <laughs> labor is something we hadn't even discussed, and mm -hmm. and labor is is uh, a huge factor, I think, for a lot of people that I, you know, in, in our industry that doesn't get yeah. uh, as much publicity as as yeah. And as I'll we... even hit on it. Um, my mom, who's our, our president right now, uh, well, actually, I'll even back up a step further. We're actually looking for some employees right now, and. I'm getting a little overwhelmed with applications. And uh, one of the things my mom always likes to say is a lot of people, when they think about working in a, in the nursery business, they think of, oh, I'm standing there with a watering can. And the <laughs> I can kind of just see it in slow motion. The water's like slowly coming out of the can, all these beautiful flowers. There's little bees and birds flying around and everything's <laughs> slow. <laughs> it's just kind of relaxed. And that's not the case at all. And, um, you, got, you guys are operating factories. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you have to look at it yeah. as like, you know, I mean, for the most part, it's it's a uh, manufacturing facility. Yeah. And yeah. I use that a lot. If you're talking to a banker that really doesn't know anything about plant material. Mm -hmm. You just start to say, well, yeah, there's our manufacturing facility and there's our warehouse. And you're, mm -hmm. you're looking at the production line and you're looking at the, you know, the hoop house. <laughs> and, you know, and, and there's our, you know, our delivery system. I mean, you know, so... The, you got to look at it in universal mm -hmm. business terms uh, if, and and it's not uh dale my partner um his family always used to call him a florist and you know, it's like no no i'm, I'm a nursery guy <laughs> grow plants you know like and uh they couldn't get the concept up because you know they they when he was starting out he was like oh you're growing flowers you know and yeah. it's just like you know they equated growing flowers into like oh i, I can go buy a bouquet of those from you yeah. some, yeah. sometime and it's very different everyone you know, has from, a different from, the, from our end yeah everyone has a different perception i once had a conversation this is going back probably 20 years with an accountant and he was like oh you're so lucky you get to work outside and i'm like 
would you say that if you worked outside in the rain when it rained two <laughs> weeks right. straight, 14 days straight, and you're, yeah. you know, and work doesn't stop because it's a rain day, you, it, it mm -hmm. continues on. It continues on if it snows. It's, you know, you don't get to take a break because of the weather for, mm -hmm. for what we do. And it's, it makes it difficult. And I don't think that's another thing that, that people don't really associate with or think yeah. about. And you're working with living things that can, are, are perishable. And they don't talk to you yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, 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 uh, like John grows mostly open pollinated plants, and so do you, you guys at Pinelands. Um, when we start to grow cultivars, and um, you know, a lot of the market uh, that it's traditional horticulture that goes into traditional nurseries and you know, uh, native and non-native plants. When you get into the cultivar market, it there's offshore cuttings, which is a whole nother you know uh, world in its own. That, I would say most people don't understand that a lot of the cuttings come from overseas. Yeah. But when you start to look at a native plant nursery, uh, and if you're doing cultivars of those, you know, varieties that um, are great pollinators, like I, I was like, you know, there was a question about, it was going to be a question, which I think is a crazy question. Is like, what, what's your favorite plant? <laughs> the one that goes out the door. Yeah. I use Phlox Phlox uh, Gina is a great one. Um, native plant cultivar, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a collected plant that had a lot of attributes, you know, that mm -hmm. was like, you know, really, really one of the best pollinator plants and it's uh, mildew resistant. So you, we could sell a lot of that plant, but we can only sell a lot of that plant if we control the stock plant material, the mother plant. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what uh, a lot of people don't understand in North Creek, especially is that we manage hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of plants that are just our stock plants that we need to grow at specific times a year to get those cuttings to to grow those plants because we can't you know we, we can't buy them offshore they're not yeah. offshore they, these are native plants and uh for whatever reason you know um a lot of times they're native plants even if they were offshore they they, yeah. they get dropped and then all of a sudden our customers are like well why can't we have that well you know because we were relying on somebody else and Nobody wants to ever hear that story. Um, yeah. So we have to control our own uh, destiny a little bit more as uh, propagators. And it seems to be more and more nowadays. And uh, so we have uh, worked our systems in and, and, try, and trying to, to work more of our own stock material into yeah. our own production. And even that, but, even that becomes like, difficult. Uh, you know, it just, I, I apologize uh, for just wanted to note, like, for us, we don't have a crop this upcoming year of black chokeberry because black chokeberry really didn't produce seed this year. Mm -hmm. So it's now we there's just a massive gap, and I just had a job come across my desk for eight thousand black chokeberries this year. I'm like, what are the odds of of that one? And you just don't have it, and it's it's not for any failure other than the plants didn't produce seed this year, you know. And that's and no one can account for that, you know. They that's a plant that we always have great inventory on, or or you have. Allness Rogosa that all of a sudden starts to cross with European alder in the in the woods, and now all of a sudden you can't get like a, a good source mm -hmm. of it. Like you, even if you're 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 collecting the seed, you can't control it. So it's it there there's so many limitations that just keep coming out of your normal means of control. That you you know we'd love to supply everything every year, but you know, some years we just have gaps for two three years. You know, and it's you, you just can't you can't guess it. Mm -hmm. But Daryl, I apologize, I cut you off. Uh, sorry, I, I was going to say the same 
that limitation, it's labor and space, but a big one for us has been uh, also works back to our suppliers, the supply chain is if we, uh, um, if, if, you know, North Creek or Steve or Pineland struggles with something, then all of a sudden, so do we. So, cause, cause we're practicing what, you know, what we've been on, do what you're good at. We're not propagators. We are finished plant growers. So getting into the propagation business is, you know, the, the money we would spend and the losses we would have isn't, isn't where we want to be. Mm -hmm. So supply chain is, has the potential to be a huge limiting factor for us. And, and some of our listeners have actually brought that up, you know, as far as propagating some things. Like we're very fortunate. We have a propagator I've worked with for over 20 years between here and Princeton Nurseries. And a lot of that is trial and error. And there's only so many propagators and they'll only share so much. <laughs> not, not everyone's going to tell you how they grow everything because – you know, it may have taken you 10 years to figure out how to propagate this. And they're not going to, after all that trial and error and loss and time invested, they're not going to just tell you how to do it. And, and um, we almost consider some of that proprietary mm -hmm. information. We, we get it's your value. Yeah, yeah it's your value. exactly. We, we figured it out. We're able to grow it. We're not going to tell you how to grow it because then there's no value to it. Then, you know, we have something that no one else has. And it, it's, it's hard because you do have, internal issues with that too like well we would love it to be available everywhere you know but we also love providing everyone a job that works here and it's it, it becomes a hard decision and i don't know what the answers are to those decisions we all face those hard decisions every day you know and it's i and i think that kind of leads me into my next question is what what do you feel are some of the most common misconceptions that that the general public has about nurseries or native plant nurseries uh what what they don't see or what they don't understand that that doesn't really they don't know what's going on i don't think the average joe knows anything or understands <laughs> anything about the nursery industry and i have to say that um before before working at a um at a nursery that grew their own plants because I had worked at um, nurseries where we, you know, we brought in plants and sold them, yeah. but we didn't grow anything there um, until I did. And really actually um, it was until I did a tour and Pinelands was one of the nurseries mm -hmm. on the tour that actually opened my eyes as a landscape architect. I had always been looking at the plant I received today and where it goes in the future. That was always, I was always planning for the future of that plant. I didn't think about what happened, how to get that plant to where I was planting it yeah. um, or where the contractor was planting it. It was just kind of from there moving forward. And um, and it was really eye-opening and amazing at how much goes into um, getting that plant into that one gallon or that mm -hmm. quart or that yeah. 10 gallon or whatever size, uh, even a B and B tree, like how much goes into it up to that point. And I, and I don't, I, so I don't think the average Joe knows any of that, let alone the business end and all the decisions. And like Steve had said, it's really we're manufacturers. Uh, I don't think anybody realizes that it realizes that at all. No, you know, and that's a, that's a good point. Just, you know, when I worked at Princeton nurseries, we were growing things from seed all the way to caliper size material. And, you know, one of our biggest plants were ginkgo and it would take seven years just to get a ginkgo to a, a one and three quarter inch caliper, a two inch caliper tree. And it's, you know, that the price on it was reflected of the time it took to grow that. And, and sometimes they don't see the length of time. So they don't understand the value of, mm -hmm. of what, you know, it's, 
I, I think for me, my, my biggest thing that I hear from people when talking to them is that native plants are such a positive thing and nature is such a positive thing and everyone's so happy about it that I think they forget there's a business behind it. It's if we we love doing what we're doing and, and we do many things to help and we're fortunate we get to make a living by doing this. But you have to make business decisions like you have to. There's a lot of people that work here that, that can on this and it's 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 hard and sometimes it's conflicting. But you have a you know, you want to maintain it. You know, it doesn't help native plants at all if we go out of business. You mm. know, we, we all need to do well and survive and grow. And I think that's that's my biggest misconception that I think I, I see. Yeah. My wife and I used to joke when we first started, she was, she's actually my best volunteer um, <laughs> here at the nursery. And, uh, you know, everyone, a lot of our friends would come over and be like, wow, it's so lucky you guys get to hang out at the nursery all day and growing plants. And I would look at Aaron every time they'd say that and said, yep, just hanging out, growing plants. <laughs> but no, there is so much that goes into it behind the scenes that not, not everyone I think realizes, you know, like winter vacation, I'm, it doesn't exist. I mean, we, we're actively, you know, stratifying our seeds or cleaning seeds or, or actually growing crops at the moment, you know, and it's January. So when yeah, was, there's no, no downtime. When was the last time anyone here took a spring vacation? And, and Tom, <laughs> you took a honeymoon, but a that's honeymoon, different. Yeah. I'll, yeah, that's different. <laughs> you know, like it, it's hard for the longest time for me. It was very hard to actually enjoy April and May mm-hmm. um, and enjoy what's happening in nature because you're you're entrenched in it and it it kind of takes the joy away from it sometimes just with how crazy a spring can be. So it's you know it's it's not as if the nursery business is a constant stream of income throughout the whole year. There's there's times of the year that that you're more profitable than others. You're more profitable in the spring. You're more profitable mm-hmm. in the fall. Summer and summer and winter are a different story. And added to that, oh, do I mute myself? No, I'm muted on, I'm, I'm looking uh, at my, uh, my screen. <laughs> I'm used to normal Zoom. Oh. Um, added to that is when you aren't as busy, uh, isn't reflected. Like when you are busy, you're as busy as you could possibly be. It's because mm-hmm. every, everyone wants to buy something in May. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. that's when everyone that first nice day in April, that's when everyone, not just you, but your neighbors and their neighbors and everyone probably in the entire country is saying, hey, oh, well, you know, what? I should want to plant something in my garden. And it can get really overwhelming in that time of year just because there is so much going on. And uh, from from our perspective, that means we're putting off every project, kind of all hands on deck and getting stuff out the door because once it shuts off that's kind of it for a while so and and it's you know it's you can plant throughout the year it's it's more difficult at certain times of the Mm -hmm. year but it's you know everyone has information that they learn from someone that may not necessarily be true but they they consider fact so that's the that's hard to to change someone's perception (laughs) you know because they look at you as well you're profiting off of this so yeah you're going to have an angle but Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of what we're trying to explain is is good for everyone, and it's you know it's they don't always want to hear what what you have to say. Uh, I I'd say too. A lot of people say, oh well, you're in the nursery industry, and you get you know winters are off. It's it's easy time for you. You know, you don't have much to do. And Steve, what was the first thing you said to me when we got on today? I'm like, oh, you know, you asked me how we're doing. I'm like, oh, we're busy. We're planning. We're doing this and we're doing that. And you're like, it's January, <laughs> and uh. You know, we've got we have more time. It's an illusion. Right. <laughs> you know, we have more time. Uh, 
you know, things don't have to be done today, but if we don't do all of that today, come May, like Tom said, we're, you know, kind of up the creek without a paddle, so to speak. You just, you're, you're kind of left floundering and becoming that fireman that I know I don't, I don't want to be every day. So we mm-hmm. do, a, we do a lot of that now and we don't get three or four months off just because it's the winter time. You got to do all the things that you, you would normally do late that you would want to do later. You have to do them now. Otherwise yeah. they won't get done. Yeah. Right. And that's what we're a doing lot. a lot now is like, you know, repairing stuff and being ready. You got to be ready. And yep. if, you're, if you don't take this time to be ready, boy, spring gets to be a real problem. <laughs> right. And a lot of those things are the things not why we got into doing this that we have to do now. We got into it. You no, know, we love growing plants and, you know, supporting the pollinators, like like we said. But we've got to sit behind a computer and do those, you know, do those sales goals and the marketing plan so mm-hmm. we can get those plants out there too. So you know, I know Tom's driving himself crazy trying to get our new website uh, ready to go live, and and we know we're crunching time because yeah. pretty, you know, we start seeding in in less than a month. You know, mm-hmm. production for us starts kicking back in the beginning of February, so it's. You know, and the the other thing too is when you when you have multiple weeks where you're working fifty, sixty hours a week, at some point you have to be able to take a break. No one can run <laughs> run like that all the time. So when you get a break, you have to be able to take advantage of it mm-hmm. also. Otherwise you're not refilling that cup, you're just running your yourself down. And we've all seen nurserymen that have burnt the candles at both ends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not always a, a you know, a pleasant sight. You know, you have to be able to refuel yourself also. Yeah, that's definitely anyone any other any other things on that topic nothing i want to talk a little bit about misconceptions and kind of move into our next question is uh one of the misconceptions i encounter again through through the retail side of things is about pest and disease control um and i want to use since we have a lot of growers right here to talk about some of the things you're doing for pest and disease control and um, and maybe some of the things you've heard from the public, uh, even some of the things that may you've heard that might not be correct, and kind of set the record straight. You know, and and I want to before we kick into that just real quick, uh, since we're talking about new business owners, even uh, though you work for Pinelands Nursery, Tom is a new business owner also yeah. with Pinelands Direct, which which sells directly to the retail market. So you're dealing mm-hmm. with it on on two sides, mm-hmm. you know. So it's. But yeah, uh, pest and disease is is a huge concern, growing concern. I've never had so mm-hmm. many questions about neonics and things like that. Yeah. So, and I think one of the things that I just remembered was a lot of people, when they hear native plants, just kind of assume that it's organic, yeah. and that's <laughs> not usually the case either. Um, in fact, I would say, from our perspective, I don't know how we could grow millions of plants a year and do it organically i don't know how we're we're neonic free and that's a struggle that's just a to be neonic free yeah. so what's some of your guys insight on that of how you're handling pest and disease issues how you're staying on top of stuff and um and limiting your impacts on the environment i'll 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 start i'll try to be short you know we're we're neonic free um we've uh adopted if we use chemistry as soft chemistry um, IPM integrated pest, pest management, uh, is the answer to a lot of this because, you know, you, you just can't, uh, go out and, uh, 
spray on schedules just to, in case uh, and going back to Gordon and what um, uh, he's been able to help us with um, working with um, degree days and uh, understanding when certain uh, outbreaks of disease and insects happen, which is related to temperature and weather and time. Um, he's able to put together um, a uh, pivot power pivot table that actually helps the growers so that uh, we use a lot of beneficial insects and you know you can put beneficial insects down when we first started out we're, yeah hey if there's more beneficial insects out well there's there's peak times when those beneficial insects are uh, the most efficient if you're putting down other times so you end up spending a lot of money uh, to feel good about, you know, being, um, uh, uh, using that soft chemistry or the, mm -hmm. can't use organic, but more natural, uh, pest, pest controls, uh, you're not really helping anything, yeah. but then when it goes down to retail wise, and I think, you know, where Daryl said, you know, and, and, and Carrie talked about, um, not applying pesticides, um, Owning a retail garden center, we get a lot of questions that come in like, oh, um, you know what this was sprayed with? I mean, when plants leave North Creek or when plants mm -hmm. leave Pineland or Kind Earth, we don't know what happens to those plants. They're going to go in a million different mm -hmm. directions and somebody else is going to take care of them or, or uh, put them through a different regimen. And mm -hmm. uh, there are some nurseries that sell into retail that are uh, transparent. Um, it's great that, you know, Gateway Garden Center here um, in Delaware can buy from uh, Sunset Farmstead and know that we can tell our customers, yes, that came from Sunset and we know that there are not pesticides on it. Mm. But that's not an industry standard. No. Uh, so um, I wish it was more like that. You know, we do sell to some, we, we sell to some growers where we can, we know how their practices are. But um, it's it's not universal through the trade, so it's very it's a very difficult um, question. So I figured I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd take the first run <laughs> oh, at that, but I'm at, sure there's a lot uh, of other people. That no, can comment. ethics yeah. are mm -hmm. is a big thing. You know, not like any other business. You have businesses that are more ethical and ones that aren't, and you're dealing with the 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 range of that. So it's 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 good for you to know who you're doing business with and their practices and get to know them. It's not just a phone call or uh, or looking on a website. You really want to know who you're doing business with so you can feel good mm -hmm. about what you're doing because it's, it's real easy to depend on chemicals. It's also real hard to do without them. Yeah. Also, it's, it's a very – you know, we – we didn't have a, a saleable crop of red maples this year because of leafhopper, and we didn't, mm -hmm. you know, we we lost a lot of plants because of grubs, you know, and it's it's difficult, and those aren't things that you want to do, but it's a reality, so mm -hmm. it's it, it's it's hard, it's and, it's very hard. And I'm gonna add one thing before I kick to the rest of you guys again, but um, with a lot of pests, like Steve, you just mentioned, you can kind of figure out exactly when that problem's gonna hit, whether it's by degree days or the weather, or just. There's a lot of different factors that go into it, but um, and a lot of times you can take care of that issue if you just hit it perfectly. Uh, but if you're even just a few days too late, then the problem's going to be bad later on in the year. Sometimes it's just when something's laying eggs, 
you need to catch it right then, or if you don't, then you're going to have a big problem later in the year. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why neonicotinoids were beneficial from a nursery standpoint, because you could just apply them once or twice a year, and it really took care of all those issues for the rest of the year. Uh, the issue with them was then once they got out in the landscape, um, you didn't necessarily know how harmful they were going to be. And uh, I know there's been other nurserymen I've talked to who said, well, if they were really that bad, then why do I have to keep putting them down every year? <laughs> but it's um, it's it's something for from our point of view, we want to make sure that we're having as little impact as we possibly can. So that's why we chose not to do it. But that's more to give our listeners a little perspective on yeah. neonics and why they are used across most of the nursery industry, um, but they are being phased out. Yeah. So like anything else, you learn yeah. what the, the consequences are. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, with, with a lot of the, the chemicals that no longer yeah. exist in the trade, mm-hmm. you know, no one knew what the – the, how much harm they were going to be, much like mm-hmm. the exotic plants that we bring in. No yeah. one knew that that you know burning bush was going to be as much of mm-hmm. a problem as it became, or or Japanese silver grass. So it's you know it takes some time to realize that the mistakes yeah. or the damage that's yeah. done. And yeah. one of the examples we had this year was it was a, a tip moth, and we were actually finding the worms in the tips of I can't remember what tree it was, but we're finding the worms, and you were seeing a lot of dieback, a lot of flagging in the heat of the summer from this tip moth. And uh, there really wasn't anything you could do at that point. It was all something you had to do, I think, in February or, or yeah. March. It was way hit early in the year. Break. Yeah, yeah, yeah at bud break. You had to hit it with the exact right formula right then. It was like a week or two-week span that you had to treat your, your plants. And once once the, the worms were in there, you couldn't do anything about it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, so, I mean, just to kind of... Uh, carry on with this is you know steve has mentioned we don't we don't use any chemicals mm-hmm. uh it's and and we started that with this our we're growing plants for pollinators mm-hmm. so we wanted to do it with knowing that there was no adverse side effects from anything we did on our property that had the potential to to harm uh to harm the pollinators which are basically essential for you know us to continue life as we know it for so to speak uh require you know just for food sources mm-hmm. and you know up and down the food chain um so so we we went going into it knowing that you know that that perfect plant that's out there that has no blemishes on it and this and that that's that's not going to be us first of all mm-hmm. it's you know because we're going to have some pests but we also know that the beneficials we see firsthand that the beneficials come in, you know, really quickly once they're there. Um, unlike other growers too, we don't have any hoop houses or greenhouses. So, you know, our material wakes up and goes to sleep with, with the, with mother nature, there's no extra heat or anything provided. So sometimes our timing is more in line with when beneficials Mm -hmm. are out. Whereas if you're under a plastic hoop house, you could be a little bit ahead of that game. And like Steve said, you have to add the beneficials to that, to that system to control it. And you, Um, you brought up a really good point too. And it's about public perception of what, what is a perfect plant? What is a good plant? And it's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if, if an insect isn't, 
feeding on it. I think Dr. Calamy has done a yeah, wonderful job at, at, at spreading this message. If it's not incorporating to the food web, what you know, how useful is that plant? So it's you know, we don't do any ornamental pruning on all of you know, any of our plants. Uh and and certain times of year plants don't look the way people think they should look. You know, mm-hmm. it's and it's just they're doing their job and it's it's hard to shift what what you should be looking for when you're getting a healthy plant. You know, we look at the root systems, um, you know, and make sure that plant's a healthy root and that it's true to name, you know, and it's 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 hard to to shift everyone's preconceived notions of what a plant should mm-hmm. look like. Yeah. You have to take some aphids with your Asclepius you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to yeah. grow for the butterflies, you know. Yeah. And, and Daryl, that's, that's – sorry to cut you off, John. That's one of the things, Carrie and Daryl, you guys told me when we were at your place, I think last fall, that you even had customers that were looking for aphids on milkweed plants. Because <laughs> that's that, <laughs> yeah, that meant that they, they were safe for the, the caterpillars as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard. Um, it's, I think you uh, said it, Fran, was it's public perception of a plant. Mm. It, this, this, it's a living thing. It's, they're not all going to grow the same. I don't care if you grow two or you grow 2,000. There's going to be variations within that. Um, I think often people are not realizing. I think they're forgetting that it is a living thing. It's going to change throughout the year it's going to grow differently than its counterpart that's growing right next to it um so that it that makes it really challenging as a, as finished grower it's going right to whomever is either either the garden center or the end consumer and and at some yeah. point and it's it, it'd be nice for them to realize that but um but yeah we have had customers looking to make to if we have aphids on it then mm. they know that we um, didn't spray anything and it, it is safe for pollinators i mean it's it's do you want the plant to look pretty or do you want it to do its job i mean if i if, yeah. if pinelands was paying me to sit here and look pretty i i would have been fired <laughs> a long <laughs> a long time ago you know and it's you, you know you you want the plant to perform its function um you know and a lot of people don't even realize like if you think of like white pine which are semi-sheared and they want that perfect looking pine well it grows out of that really poorly you know it's not meant to be sheared you know so it's Mm -hmm. a lot of these practices that may look good now are bad practices in the long you know you want to look at a forest and say what trees are doing their job you know and that's 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 the way we approach it but not everyone views it that way and that's Mm -hmm. the hardest the hardest part so how do you how do you think over time the perception has changed um do you think it's getting easier is it getting harder is it different because more more eyes are on everyone it's do, do you think it's it, it, the circle's getting bigger Let, let's put it that way i think in many ways it's getting easier but it's also getting harder too um you know being a, a an open pollinated seed grown you know nursery um there there's within the native plant field there's obviously a divide between you know cultivars and and seed grown plants and oh is it this what 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 eco region is it from that actually makes it in my mind harder to uh, reach more people when we get mm-hmm. lost in the nuances of um you know of, of deep ecology if you will and deep yeah. deep deep plant science and um you know, for many, many, many ways, I feel that sometimes that's a disservice as important as it is. It's, it's also important to be able to get more plants, native plants, whether it be cultivars or not, into people's hands and get them gardening and get dirt under their nails. You know, so um, 
yeah, it has, it's gotten easier, but it's also gotten harder. I think at the same time, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm guilty of that. I, I, I'm guilty of that. I just did that with one of our listeners actually, <laughs> you know, in a, in one of our Facebook group chats. So it's, you know, you're, you're right. You want, you want the message to get out there and everyone has to have a starting mm-hmm. point and, mm-hmm. and you hope whatever that starting point is, it, it, it leads them to, to keep going further with it. Mm-hmm. Anyone yeah, else? It, it, it's a, it's a long, hard educational process. Mm-hmm. And, and when we started American Beauties and we had the conversations with National Wildlife, um, and partnered with a uh, large, some large growers that you know grow all kinds of exotic plants and we're not nat- uh, invasive species, but um, uh, cultivars and open pollinated and bringing more plants to market. But um, getting native plant, getting the in the conversation that changed. It's a paradigm shift to get people to plant and be conscious of planting native plants, whether they're cultivars or not, is like the first step. So then if you can get them, this is the way we looked at it. If you can get them hooked and get them to understand the ecology on a very elementary level, we feel that they will evolve, they, their families in time will evolve the marketplace to where, um, biodiversity becomes more of a common speech rather than ecological speech. And I think that's the way you got to kind of look at it because you start talking uh, in terms that we maybe as native plant people or even just plant people talk about, we really lose the general public and they kind of gloss over because want something pretty, they want something easy, they Mm -hmm. want something that, you know, but then, you know, if you can get them hooked into this and they have butterflies and they, you can talk about birds and you can talk about things they can relate to, then you start to get buy-in. Yeah. It's the next generation, really. Uh, it's about getting those kids uh, involved. And uh, I think we, we're seeing it. It's just, we all, you know, being the oldest guy here probably, <laughs> have to be patient that, um, you know, it's going to happen, but it's going to take a long time and it, it's going to take mm-hmm. a long time. Um, we're just getting started in this native plant thing. I mean, even though, I mean, the, the plants have been there, but, um, you know, biodiversity is really important. Um, and uh, like I, I talked about early in the introduction, you know, we grow specifically open pollinated for specific projects that can that are going to go into biodiverse landscapes or natural landscapes mm-hmm. or undisturbed landscapes. But the majority of the people that are buying plants at retail, almost 100 percent, mm-hmm. are not planting those plants in biodiverse regions that aren't on disturbed sites. Mm-hmm. And and I, I get into a lot of debates with uh, not a lot, but debates with uh, the native plant fundamentalists versus the native plant enthusiasts or the non-native plant uh, person. And it's it's an easy way for everybody to understand it that um, it's better to have a native plant that has some ecological value to get started with rather than thinking that you have to have like the open pollinated source into because mm-hmm. you're really replacing invasive or non-native species. Yeah. So if it if it can bring them off or bring a caterpillar, bring a butterfly or a bird can um, using that plant, you know, in the ecology to raise its young, um, that's a benefit. And we just got to keep that in, 
and somewhat in focus and perspective. Steve, those are great points. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, mentioning you mentioned like the native plant thing really isn't that old and we're just really starting to understand what we we're just starting to know what we don't know <laughs> you know but there's got to there has to be a space for all of these conversations um together because we kind of need each other to to for this to progress um and i i think i see that happening probably more now than than I've seen in the past. So I'm, I'm really happy for that. You know, it's becoming more mainstream. You're seeing more articles. You're seeing it in the paper, you know, and, and there's room for all of it. You know, it's it. who's – we all have our opinions, but I feel there's, that – There's know, a lot of good work going on yeah. by a lot of not-for-profit organizations mm -hmm. yeah. that are – one of the questions that always would come up that um, was really hard to answer, and I think we're finally getting some answers. Where's the science behind it all? Mm -hmm. You know, yep. and um, until you can answer this stuff with science and say, "Oh yeah, well this plant, you know, does this and has these properties, and you know, there's these relationships," it's a lot of information to understand. Mm -hmm. And you know, we weren't born with that. We, I wasn't, you know. I, I grew up, uh, got a degree in, in very conventional horticulture, you know, which uh, native plants weren't even talked about in the uh, 70s. I mean, it was just, well, looks good, ornamental, you know, and, um, you know, good flowers, fall color, and pest and disease resistance, you know, and that's not the, that's not the conversation these days. No, I think, you know, you, you shift back a few decades. People just wanted something that would survive. They didn't care if it was native or non-native. They wanted it to look pretty, and they wanted to make sure if they planted it that it lived, <laughs> you know, and that, that formed a lot of the choices. I think you guys are both hitting on things right there. I mean, we're talking about the biodiversity and all that, but, you know, one thing that everybody needs is a really good success story yeah. mm -hmm. and something yeah. that shows that, that someone else has been successful with, planting native plants and they've they've thrived and then you know in the sh in a short term they've brought the the birds and the butterflies back but but at the end of the day that plant that they bought at the garden center and took it home and planted it lived um with you know some care but it's 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 natural state natural environment um so it wasn't i didn't have to spray a lot i didn't have to water it it was it was fairly easy like steve's at and success and success means oh i'll go do it again whereas right. failure is you know most people's biggest fear of getting into you yeah. know a garden so that's a great yeah. point yeah that's a great point so i i have to i was just looking at time and i have to start yeah. guiding us towards the end because <laughs> we've been we've been talking for about an hour and 20 minutes so um one of the things that and steve mentioned this earlier that a lot of our listeners ask is or or say that they have trouble finding plants like where can i get native plants or where can i get local ecotype native plants you know but here we are all wholesale uh mm -hmm. nurseries what what led you to be on the wholesale side as opposed to the retail side now when we had don and suzanne on the podcast suzanne said that for her it was a very selfish reason she didn't want to give up her weekends and evenings you know and that's you know being being a young married couple and working that hard that was where that focus went what kind of led you more towards the wholesale side than the retail side not that your plants aren't hitting retail they're they're mm -hmm. getting there in a just different manner but i'm a glutton for punishment because i actually do both oh <laughs> i wasn't aware of that um and again it was an early a decision i made early on because i needed i needed to create revenue so mm -hmm. i can start okay. to build equity to you know put it back into kinder yeah. so that i could 
you know, do what I did to, to make this happen. Um, I still do it, but my wife has taken it over. She absolutely loves it. Um, I personally love wholesale, you know, COVID um, this past spring forced us to do things very differently where we couldn't just have open hours and sit around and wait for people to show up and, and maybe buy a, you know, one, one quart or one tomato. Cause we also do veggies for retail for the local uh, community. And, um, it forced us to be very targeted and take orders, pre-orders like we do wholesale. Yeah. So we actually implemented wholesale principles into our retail market oh, and nice. did pretty well with that, right? Awesome. Uh, but wholesale, honestly, that I mean, for, for I like my weekends as well. I'm, I'm, I totally <laughs> agree with I, mean, I like my weekends and I like downtime, you yeah. know, on the weekends, especially on Sundays. So. That's really why I focused on wholesale. And, and we all have families. Not that not that people that do retail have families, but you make decisions based on what's what's best for you sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, how about anyone else? I think for us, um, definitely it was the want, want the weekends off. We've already worked in industries and other companies where you didn't have weekends free. Um, and that was a big one for us. Um, also for me personally, this is our nursery is at my house and uh and unless we were going to rent lease or buy another piece of property to have the retail end on it i just didn't want it to feel like the doors were open to people all the time with mm -hmm. everybody just stopping in and checking yeah. it out and um you know if we wanted to have a have a party on the weekend or have friends over and sit outside we could do that because we were closed um so yeah, i think that was a big factor is that I, <laughs> I live on the farm <laughs> where the nursery is. <laughs> How about you, Steve? Got you all beat. <laughs> <laughs> I started out as a landscape design build contractor in 1979 um, and worked a lot and um, didn't, I started with a, like a rototiller and a pickup truck. So um, to what John was saying, you know, it, it takes a certain amount of work to get to the fact that I like farming. I like growing things and you know, started growing things in the backyard, uh, just complement the landscape business that I was doing. Um, met my, uh, former partner, uh, because he was growing ornamental grasses and liners of things that his company that he was working for weren't growing. So. Uh, started growing ornamental grasses because I wanted to put those in the landscape because uh, I couldn't buy them anywhere. Um, and then there weren't wholesale distribution yards. So to feed the landscape business, I kept going to buy plants and I started filling up the backyard and all of a sudden uh, between growing stuff and uh, buying things, I had a nursery. <laughs> and then you're taking care of a nursery. And then you're hiring a person to work in a nursery. Uh, and then we started uh, selling plants and, and retail. So uh, our retail business is almost uh, 40, well, it's probably 37 years old, 38 years old. And I apologize. I forgot about Gateway Garden Center. I'm sorry about That's that. That's okay. Um, it, you know, I don't work weekends like I used to. Uh, I help out. I've gotten myself out, but my wife works weekends. Um, and, you know, we raised two kids and we, you know, had our, our time and vacations and stuff. I just had an opportunity uh, when I met Dale Hendricks, my former partner, um, to get into the wholesale business. And when you know Dale said, "Hey, let's," uh, I want to start a nursery. 
I had to have a whole nother education because he wasn't talking about growing plants like uh, Daryl and Carrie. It was like, oh, we're going to grow small plants. So, you know, going back to the uh, dollar per square per square foot conversation, uh, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. So, but we, we had an ecological focus and I think that's been the driving point is that, mm-hmm. um, starting out back then, even in the, in, in the, in the retail store and taking that retail store to be, uh, more organic and selling and not, you know, selling, not, not being like the hardware store and selling harmful chemicals that people put down. So it's been a mission, um, as we evolved all those businesses to kind of like be doing the right thing and evolving our industry. But I've seen it from all those different, I don't have a landscape design build business, but you know, we still do retail, um, we're open seven days. We were closed. The idea we were supposed to be closed in January and February retail, but I have a wholesale nursery now, so I kind of like stay busy all and, the time. So. And kudos over, over that time frame, the nursery industry has changed and we've oh, yeah. seen, it has. you know, I've, I've joked that, that Pinelands Nursery is the only nursery that I've ever worked for that didn't go out of that. <laughs> that you know, it's the only one that's still in business. You know, technically, um, but you know, things have changed and we've seen some big nurseries go under. But you've managed to maintain two businesses and, and grow with mm-hmm. them, which is wonderful. That's that's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. I, we we keep thinking the retail is like if you know we're, we're, we might be the last re- independent retail standing or something. It's just yeah. Um, that is a um we're doing really well and had a great year uh we are plant focused people it's a little bit different uh very small garden center uh but we have very very committed staff and again we educate the public we're in a good location yeah you you have a great staff you have a great staff there yeah that definitely helps so steve kind of led us to where how he got into the industry so before we ask everyone their final question and we do final (laughs) thoughts i thought i'd ask you know actually the rest of you, I don't know how you, you made your way into the industry, so I, I'm interested to hear. Carrie, let's start with you. Okay. Um, so uh, I just try to make this story sh- short, um, if I can. Um, I was home. I had gone to college with no major. Um, I was home for summer break after my freshman year, and uh, I was at the gym waiting for the fitness instructor to show up. And there was another woman who was older than me. And um, she was like a real adult. And I was still a kid. <laughs> um, and uh, she, she started talking to me. And come to find out, she was also at college. And um, I asked her, what was she going to college for? And she said, landscape architecture. And I said, what's that? And she told me. And um, I was like, oh, that's cool. Our fitness instructor came. I went home read about it, changed all my classes that fall. Wow. And, uh, and turned into, uh, turned into my career. And, uh, and then from there, when I was in college going for landscape, uh, architecture, I wanted to work in a nursery so I could gain more plant knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with plants. Um, and I just felt like, um, you guys had mentioned before, a lot of landscape architects don't know their plant material. Um, I didn't want to be one of those people. And um, I really enjoyed it. And I worked, I really enjoyed working at a retail garden center and um, just kind of all evolved from there. But, um, awesome. but the woman who I never saw that woman again, never ran into her at college, um, ran into her probably five years ago. Her name's Carol Thomas. And she, within the past, like maybe 10 years or less, mm-hmm. she actually bought a nursery 
a garden, uh, she bought a garden center, excuse me, independent garden center over in Hamilton called uh, Green Haven. Wow. Uh, Very cool. That's nursery, an awesome so, story. Yeah. <laughs> Small world. And now she buys plants from us. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. That's a, all right. Let's. Great story. That is a great story. We're going to save Daryl for last. Let's kick it over to John. Yeah. Um, I, I would say three three ways, actually. Uh, well, actually, four ways. The first way uh, was when I was a kid kicking a soccer ball into my mom's garden all the time. She quickly made me appreciate what flowers meant, and, and um, <laughs> mostly because I was crushing them with a soccer ball. But, uh, but no, I actually, I, there, were, there were three people that were pretty, very influential in my in my career and how I got in here. Um, the first was, I, I did go to Del Val College for environmental design, and um, my professor there, Doug, uh, Doug Kane, was instrumental in uh teaching us plant communities major native plant communities and making us design with native plants mm-hmm. um he was so influential on me that um my junior year when he said you should think about doing an internship at bowman's hill wildflower preserve i i said absolutely doug would you mind writing me a letter of recommendation so my summer going into my senior year I, I did an internship at bowman's all the while believing that i wanted to be a landscape architect yeah. um eventually and I spent a lot of time in the nursery with Bill Lamack, who was their propagator at the time. And um, I absolutely loved woodland ephemerals. And, you know, that's really the focus of Bowman's because it is a woodland garden. Mm -hmm. And um, I fell in love with growing. I really did. You know, just the simple transplanting, sowing of seeds, collecting seeds. And then that springboarded me into uh, my graduating summer when I thought "Ah, I wanted to go skiing, first of all, in the wintertime. And I wanted to go surfing in the summertime. And I was like, I better get a job so I can pay rent. And um, I found uh, Randy Hefner at Aquascapes Unlimited uh, for a summer job. And that was back in 1998. And it was uh, in 2016 when Randy Hefner said to me, John, you should really think about buying my business. <laughs> so it, t- it took about 20 years for me to actually wow. grow up in the industry uh, with, with his help. And all three of those people that I mentioned were extremely inf- influential on my decision to be and continue to be in this industry and to start kind earth growers those are all yeah, great fantastic. people you know doug kane is a name i hear a lot of people state as a influence like in that time frame that went to del val i've heard a lot of people uh throw his name out he was and fantastic he really was he really was and that's awesome. gone too soon yes yes all right daryl you you are up uh do you want the short version the long version you can give um, whatever version you want uh I mean, I guess a lot of it, you know, as a young kid, my parents had a vegetable garden and uh, we always helped out. Um, I'd say, you know, I was in, you know, eight, between eight and 10 and my brother was in his early, you know, teenage years. They gave us each a five by five plot in our vegetable garden and said, you can grow whatever you want, but you take care of it and it's all you. And so that was like my first real introduction into growing plants. And for a long time, I wanted to be a farmer. Um, you know, friends wanted to be police officers and cops. And I wanted to be a farmer kind of not normal for when we were growing up or, and where I was growing up. Um, then like Steve, I kind of in high school, got into in high school and college, got into having a lawn service and, you know, mulching and kind of landscape contracting. Uh, at one point I told my folks, I wasn't going to college. I was going to do this. I had a business and it was successful. And my parents said, nope, you're going to college because a college degree is something nobody can take away from you. Um, so then I had to find something to do because I wanted to play lacrosse, but that wasn't going to pay the bills big term, big picture. So I had to find a school that had lacrosse and something like farming. Um, 
landscape architecture came in and bam, there I was at Rutgers. Uh, then I got to be an intern at the Rutgers Gardens. Wait, I, I and... want to say you you made a, a choice where you could play lacrosse, but eventually landscape architecture, you made a choice to stop playing lacrosse, correct? Uh, yes, landscape yeah. architecture led me to stop playing lacrosse because I couldn't do both anymore. It was such a time, both were mm -hmm. such a time commitment that uh, I, I wasn't, both, both would have had to suffer. Um, yeah. And I realized that, like I said, even if I was going to be a professional lacrosse player, I still needed another job. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't good enough to be a professional lacrosse player anyway. So, um, so I, you know, stopped playing lacrosse, focused on, on education, then got, like I said, got the ability or had the opportunity to be an intern at the Rutgers gardens. Um, and I was, did that for two years. And fortunately, right around graduation, I had, I was all set just to go keep running with my own business. Um, but doc Hamilton, who was the director at that time asked me to stay after class with him. And I'm like, what the heck did I do? Like, why am I being asked? Like, I thought I was in trouble. And, um, trying to figure out the whole class, like what, what's possibly going on. And uh, he said, so what are you doing when you graduate? And I was like, well, you know, I'm gonna just go with my business. And he said, well, how would you like to be our superintendent? The existing superintendent's leaving and we'd love to have you. So uh, kind of thought it over and talked it through and there I am, uh, graduating college and uh, being superintendent of the Rutgers Gardens. Wow. And, Doc and Doc Hamilton and Pat Kalina um, introduced me to so many folks, uh, introduced me to so many plants. That's that's really where I, the, the idea of being a farmer always was there, but their introduction into the horticultural world and folks like Steve and Don and uh, uh, just, just so many different people uh, really just, just pushed me and pushed me into doing this and through you know several years later i'm more than several but that's all right i'm i'm here now sitting next to carrie and talking to you guys uh as as a business owner the two things i've always wanted was to be a farmer and to be a business owner man that's a great story yeah. i love that you know i'm i'm getting to the age where i'm i'm starting to become very reflective on all the the influences i've had throughout my years in the nursery industry and just very thankful for all the people that kind of carried me on their back <laughs> when I was younger and it helped get me to to where I am today you know and it's it's mm -hmm. you know everyone here mentioned some fantastic names today and it's mm -hmm. it's nice you know it's it's nice for those people that their names are still getting mentioned uh because without them a lot of us wouldn't be here so it's I, I love that that a lot of those names got thrown out today. So I hope someone speaks kindly of me that way. When I'm you, you better straighten up quick. <laughs> you want that to happen. <laughs> All right. So uh, you if, never know. This podcast might be the thing that yeah. that changes yeah. somebody and, and makes them want to go into horticulture. So you know, that, keep going, guys. That, that would you know? I got to <clears throat> to be honest. This podcast helped really re I've said it before but helped really reinvigorate my love for this and and realized how much I didn't know and how much more I wanted to learn so um you know my fiance and I were actually talking I think uh coming this fall I'm I'm gonna I don't have a college degree and I'm going to go and and, and go back to start working on a, a a college degree for this field so 
So, uh, yeah, it's funny how things, funny, funny how, you know, what, what inspires you, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's who knew, who knew that it would be this podcast, you know, so I hope it, I hope it does it for someone else. All right. Load it. Last question. Everyone's favorite native plant. I know, I know, I know. It's it's hard, and it's 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 it it can change. So it, you're not being held to the standard for forever. You know, you can change your answer tomorrow or even in five minutes. So, but if you had to pick a favorite native plant right now, what what would it be? Oh, everyone's just staring <laughs> intently. I've got a community. I've got a community of native plants. I have to do it. Um, Spigelia marilandica, Acerum canadensis, and Polystick americastoides, Ooh. all in combination in the July garden under my beech tree. Absolutely love it. Very nice. Yeah, very cool. Very nice. All right, who wants to go next? I mentioned a plant earlier, and uh, I think there's just too many plants in too little time, and it's really kind of difficult to kind of, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a seasonal thing. You know, I have a favorite mm-hmm. plant um, every season. And, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I just uh, like the Phlox paniculata gina is one that I'd like to pick on because uh, I can always point it out to somebody and it's got, you know, if it's in bloom, it's got butterflies. And I call it the summer blooming lilac because it had, you know, the flowers are a little more unusual. And um, and that, not that it's my favorite plant, but it's just so doggone reliable um, that you know, if you want to see a butterfly, if you want to, you know, introduce one plant to somebody that's going to bloom in the summertime. Nice. I mean, eupatoriums are that way. I mean, there's just so many of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It, uh, it changes with the season, but I'll, I'll throw that out there All because right. I hate that question. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> I, I know, you know, but we've made it, it it's, it's a tradition now, yeah. so we have to ask it. <laughs> All right, Daryl and Carrie, who's next? Um, so I, um, I'm thinking of two plants for similar reasons. Um, One is uh, echinacea and one is um, Asclepius, uh, butterfly weed, Um, both because of the the pollinators and the the other critters that are attracted to it. Um, So the echinacea, you've got all your your bees, your butterflies that that come when it's in bloom. It's a beautiful flower. It's a more recognizable flower for, for you know, average, yeah. uh, most people kind of know what that is, um, that coneflower look. Um, but then I actually really like it when um, when the cones turn to seed and then mm-hmm. I get to watch all the small songbirds come. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's nice to see it feeding uh, insects in the beginning when it's really pretty and, you know, and I enjoy looking at it. And then later on um, feeding the bird population. I just like watching that. And then I'd say butterfly weed for the same, Asclepius for the same thing is just the, the flowers are fine. I, I don't love, love them. Um, like I like echinacea flowers, but I, it's, it's, I feel like there's always a teaching moment. You can go up to it when it's, when it's actively growing and there's just always something on there, whether it's mm-hmm. aphids, whether it's green lacewing, um, whether it's, um, lady beetles um or it's the caterpillars like there's just always something happening there's it's very it's just so active so um and i and i think that's really fun to show somebody like look look at what's going on here you know this is the predator species this is the prey species this is what's happening this is the purpose of that plant Mm -hmm. this is why this one's not touching it um and and 
this is what's feeding on the flowers, um, the nectar and the flowers. And I just love, I, it's just ex exciting, I guess, to see that progression. And then to see that plant look awful and you think, oh, it's not coming back. And then next spring, late spring, there it goes. And you got to, you get to watch that whole cycle again. Those, those are great choices. And I think uh, butterfly weed is a great gateway plant just for oh, yeah. people. That's one of the first native plants a lot of people that yeah. we talk to you know, learned. So it's, it's very important that way. All right, Daryl, it's, it's all you. Um, uh, I definitely don't have anything, uh, that's maybe as beautiful as Carrie described right now. Um, it's, it's just, I'd say native, it, my favorite plant definitely changes throughout the year. Um, and right now it's definitely Andropogon virginicus. Oh, we have it right. in the back of our property uh, at, at my house. We kind of created a, a little bit of a meadow area and it's still standing up tall. It's kind of that beautiful bronzy brown uh, color. And I mean, as much as everyone's like a oh, beautiful and brown doesn't really go together, <laughs> but there's something special about it. Um, and, and it's also like, and I think about it, it's, it's old field succession. It's a sign of hope. You know, you, it's one of the, it's an early uh, plant to come in as things are transitioning from either, uh, you know, a disgraced landscape and, and, and moving forward and, and being reclaimed, or it's a forest edge or the side of a farm field that's been let go. It, it kind of comes back first. And, uh, and I look at it now as it's, it's a big sign of hope of what's to come for next year or this coming season. I um, mean, like I said, we had mm -hmm. snow and a heavy, wet snow here, and they were covered laying down, and they're bounced back up at three feet right now. Yeah. And it's just really, I don't, it's it's just cool. And then to see my kids run through it also is kind of neat too. Oh, that's so I awesome, can see dude. them playing and interacting. So you know, on a on a side note, when so I'm I'm colorblind, and a few years ago, Don as and and the folks at the nursery as a surprise bought me a pair of colorblind glasses to correct colorblindness. So which I had no idea was coming, but the color that broom sedge gets in the winter mm -hmm. was not a color that was in my palette. <laughs> so I never appreciated that color before. I love, you know, yeah. I know it's funny, but that I love that color. Like that's, yeah. it's, mm -hmm. that's very special to yeah, me. Yeah, really now. the way, like the sun hits it on a day like today yeah. in New Jersey, it really just pops. Yes. So. yes. And you guys, for those watching, you can watch that video of when we gave Fran the it, colorblind glasses. Oh, that is on our YouTube yeah, page. I cried. Page, Spoiler, so. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, final thought. This is at, we end each podcast where we give everyone just the the floor for a minute. Just if, if there's anything you want to expand upon, anything mm -hmm. that you wish people at home knew, knew that kind of thing. you wanted to summarize anything. Mm -hmm. However, you want to use that time. Uh, now's the time. We're we're gonna start with John. Uh, and we'll, we'll work our way through. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not sure. I think a lot of things I think about a lot are, um, the responsibilities, right. As, as a nurseryman and as a grower and as someone who's putting these native plants out into the landscape is, um, I think we did touch upon it a little bit is, um, Steve certainly has too, in his, um, you know, commitment to education, our responsibilities go beyond the, beyond the growing and, and the producing. It goes to making people be successful. And like Daryl was saying, everyone needs that one victory, right? Cause yeah. it's so easy to turn away after one that, um, you know, once they get a second victory and a third victory, all of a sudden we have a gardener who's committed, who's coming back year after year and who's also talking about it. Yeah. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't stress that more, believe that more um, in my own mission here at Kind Earth is to, to really make people successful in, in, in gardening and, and, and using native plants so that 
we can grow more and 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 create more habitat for all the birds, bees, and bunnies that we all love. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Daryl, how about you next? Uh, um, I think I would kind of second that a little bit. Is this is making people successful uh, and giving people stories? Um, but I think uh, I had a thought. Now I can't. I, um, <laughs> That's my typical final thought. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's just the idea that is, is what we're planting. We're, we're planting something today and it's, it's not necessarily for everybody on that's listening to this tomorrow. It's what we're planting today for, you know, our kids or grandkids is, is what is, is being responsible and ecologically responsible for the world for the long term. So let's really, think about that as we're enjoying our gardening and planting what we, what's pretty and that, but think about the whole big picture value at the same time. All right, Carrie, you're next. Mine is really basic. Um, That's mine is to tell people to stop being afraid of bugs. Um, <laughs> it's so basic. And I think it's something that we forget because um, of what we do and we are outside and uh, you know, you see something crawling around and, and, and instead of fleeing and screaming, our reaction is to go, let's investigate going in. Um, but I have friends and, and I see it a lot where uh, there's something moving and it's, I got to spray it. I got to kill it. Step on it. Do something. And and uh, I so I encourage people to stop being afraid of insects. Um, start investigating and being interested in them because they are so important. Um, and we're not going to be able to continue doing what we're doing if we don't um, if, if if we continue to kill them all the time. So um, that's the, I think once you start with that and you suddenly aren't afraid, you start realizing how many beneficial insects there are and how many insects who really don't care about us. They're not all out to kill us. They're just going about their daily business and living their lives and doing what they need to do. And we just happen to be around. So um, awesome. I implore people to stop being so scared of, <laughs> of insects. All right, Steve, you are next. Well, I want to first start just by uh, wrapping up and saying thank you to, and uh, for what you're doing here you. and including us all and having the conversation because I think all of this really evolves around having more and more conversations um, to get more interactions with more people. Yeah. And that's really what our, you know, it's all of our jobs. Um, and to follow with everybody, what everybody has really said is I think uh, it's important that we continue to figure out how to try to change the paradigm here and what landscapes look like. And um, what we grew up with is a little bit different than what we're trying to uh, convince people or show people or educate people as to what, uh, how nature can be beautiful in its own right. And, you know, when we think about, you know, to, but everything we drive around and we see every day, you know, and like yeah. I said, once you see things, it's hard to look away. Yeah. If you can, uh, you know, our mission really is, as uh, nursery people and native plant enthusiasts should be really out there changing people's perception of beauty um, and not changing it, but uh, expo exposing people to that, uh, that shift to where, uh, you know, the anthropogon in the winter landscape or um, the fall color of 
uh, and the textures and movements and uh, summer meadows. I mean, when people ask about, you know, the native plants and, um, and when we started like American Beauties and such, um, I started looking, I look at people's catalogs and wholesale growers and I say, man, you guys, we have all been growing and selling and installing native plants. That, that really isn't the issue. Mm -hmm. It's just that no one called them native plants. Nobody mm -hmm. understood the yeah. where they came from, the ecology of, you know, and they were the, they're some of the most beautiful plants that were part of conventional horticulture. Um, they're in their moment now. And I think our job is to carry that mission forward. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Tom, would you like to go or you want me to go? Oh, I don't. I'll go. Okay. Yeah, mine's oh, not. I'm, oh, you're making me. Fan. Yeah, you, okay. You have, right. have the good rap. All right. All right. Um, when we started talking about doing these uh, these rooted discussions, these more roundtables with larger groups, some of it was selfish just so we could have some some of our friends on uh, <laughs> that were in the private industry. Not our, our main mission was support um, a lot of the NGOs, but there's a lot of this stuff that's going on in the private industry as well, and. Uh, one of the reasons we chose this one to do first was because, uh, like I mentioned, there are a lot of our friends yeah. to start out, but they're also living that message in addition to having a career in that message. Um, so everyone's here in this group and, and outside of this group as well. They're growing native plants not just because they can make money off of it, but because they really love the the habitat aspect of it and creating new ecosystems and, and all that. and. Uh, that's really it. <laughs> I have right. another thought, right. but I can't even. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's gonna go on forever. All right, I'll I'll wrap it up. I'll I'll try to be brief. Yeah. So, we all, everyone on this podcast today, all took different paths to get here. But in the end, we're all here, um, and we're all stewards, uh, and and take to heart everything that that we talked about. And in the process, we we threw out a bunch of names of people today mm -hmm. that helped us get here. We we all needed help to get to this place. Um, so just take that to mind that people we want more people to get to this place. So where where you were helped, it's now our turn to help other people get to that place. So whatever that means, like I said, there's rooms for all of these discussions. There's there's room for all different ideologies. We, if, if we're going to make a difference, we, we really need to get more people involved. So I, I hope that I can do uh, for other people what was done for me and help more people get to this. And, and just, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a serious thing. It really is. It's, it's, it's a nice thing to talk about, but we, we have to take it serious and, and help, help get other people to this place. You know, we, we, it will be a fun party when we're all, <laughs> when, yeah. when we're all here together. Yeah. So. Uh, I think that's I think that's it, Tom. Yeah, you want to wrap yeah, it so up? That really wraps it up. We want to thank you guys for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to our first rooted discussion. Uh, for more information about the nurseries that you joined or that joined us today, um, visit the Native Plants Healthy Planet website for links. That's www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, again, thank you for listening, to Native Health. Brian, I, Man, I, it's, I gotta it's go okay. this back and forth. It's, no, this it's okay. Weird. It's, uh, it's weird getting back into this. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, thank you for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, big thank you to all of our guests today. If you're in the the Mid Atlantic or the Northeast and you've been to a, a restoration site, more than likely the plants there have have come from one or all of these places. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, there's there's a lot of beautification that's that's been going on between this collective group right here. Um, I would love to give a big thank you to R.J. Comer for contributing our theme music. 
Uh, just a reminder, if you want to submit original music to be featured on future episodes mm-hmm. of uh, Rooted Discussions, send them to info at nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget, we have the question and answer line, which you, everyone's been yeah. using. Uh, we're, we're happy to hear that. Call us at 215-346-6189. Uh, I'll repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. If we pick your question or comment, we will play it on a future episode of The Buzz and answer it uh, at that time. Um, let's not also forget, we did mention the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Uh, I'm sure we'd love to continue this conversation mm-hmm. over there. So if you have any questions, please make sure you join the group and post the uh, question yeah. there. And we're going to ask for some uh, some listener feedback. Actually, uh, well, I guess it's not even feedback. We need, we need to have like the deep dive into yes. foraging. So yes. we're going to post something in there, and we're looking for your guys' reasons why you're interested in foraging through our Facebook group so we can ask our guest. You want to say who it is? No, not yet. Okay. We've right. we got to keep that one a secret. <laughs> All right. And we have some, we have some great guests coming yeah. up uh, right. in the near future. So. so, again, you guys can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, also check us out on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcasts. You can even ask Alexa to play the Native health, Native Plants Healthy. Man, I can't say There's too much alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> you can even ask Alexa to play the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast. Um, when you're signing up or going to listen to all these, make sure that you hit subscribe uh, and leave us a five-star review. Let us know how we, you like the, the Rooted Discussions format as well. We'd love to um, do more of these. Yeah. yeah, we had a lot of fun. And uh, and it really lets us dive deep into some different topics that we might not get to talk about this, with our normal format. This was everything I had hoped for. Oh today. yeah, me it's too. everything that I had me hoped too. for. So and and if you're in a friend's house that has an Alexa, make their yeah. Alexa yeah. play. Yeah. Steal their phone, hit subscribe. <laughs> it, it really does help when you do that. So with that, I'm Tom and I am Fran. Uh, thank you again, everyone, for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests. Thank you for taking time out of your day, uh, busy day, to spend time with us today. Uh, coming up on the next buzz, we'll be uh, having a conversation. We did get a, a call from Saul, and he had questions on uh, cultivars. That's so. right. That's so right. Yeah. We're, and we're, we promised in the last buzz that, that we've been talking about cultivars enough, and yeah. maybe we do a rooted discussion on cultivars. That at some might point be a too. great idea. That might be a great deal. Uh, so uh, that's about it. We'll be talking about that. Make sure you tune in, and until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.